Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Knowledge. I'm your host, Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer at Westfield Bank. In today's episode, we're gonna be talking about transportation and logistics. Please join us for this episode. All right, before we begin today, let's introduce our guests. Our first guest is Michael Jarrett, owner of Jarrett Logistics. Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I'm Michael Jarrett, and I'm the president and CEO of Jarrett Companies. Jarrett Companies is a, a company that's primarily focused in the transportation, logistics, warehousing, and fleet services markets. And um, we're, we're located and uh, headquartered in Orville, Ohio, and um, we have customers worldwide. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Our next guest is Jason Stevenson, Vice President at Oswald Insurance. So, Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what your role is at Oswald. Sure. Thanks, Kevin. Um, so, Oswald Companies, 126-year-old, um, privately owned, employee-owned insurance agency, home bases in Cleveland, Ohio, offices throughout the Midwest. I'm a practice leader and run our transportation, logistics, warehousing uh, practice. We work with uh, trucking, transportation, warehousing, logistics, freight brokerage, all different sizes and shapes uh, across the U.S. and in some cases into Canada. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today. So as we talk about transportation and logistics, we obviously have two experts in, in the field that we can uh, have the conversation with. So before we begin, so why don't you tell us the difference between transportation, distribution, and logistics? And, and Michael, I don't know if you want to sure, start. Sure, Kevin. Uh, so transportation is the actual movement of goods using certain modes of transportation. So for example, you would have over-the-road truckload as one mode of transportation, um, over-the-road LTL, parcel. Those are all different subsets of transportation. You also have rail and intermodal, which is a, a popular form of transportation. And then, of course, there's air cargo and then ocean and water. Um, with regards to the modes of transportation, most people don't realize that 70% of all goods are moved through over-the-road transportation. Roughly about 20 to 25% is through rail and intermodal, and then roughly 3 to 5% is through air. Internationally speaking, over 90% of all cargo is, is transported through ocean carriers. Whereas supply chain is more the procurement of, of goods and services, starting at the purchasing component of raw materials, all the way to manufacturing, and then on through distribution and, and transportation. And, and logistics is more the process of managing the, the supply chain in the most cost-effective and efficient manner. Okay, great, thank you. Jason, is there anything you want to add to that? I don't think I can improve on that, really. <laughs> We insure it, right? I didn't invent it. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. You, go. you take care of whenever there's uh, any whenever mistakes. There's, there's a problem, yeah. I'm yeah. a pro problem yeah. solver, maybe. Well, I always <laughs> say Murphy's Law applies in transportation. If something can go wrong, it will. So yeah, we need true. insurance providers like you, Jason. Well, you mentioned <laughs> supply chain, and, and you hear in the news so much about supply chain disruption. Uh, you know, like, what is that, and, and how does that impact um, the economy? Well, it's, it's huge right now, Kevin. It's... Um, uh, supply chain, for those that are in the investment markets, the banking markets like yourself, you're reading a lot about supply chain right now. Um, the supply chain bottlenecks have played a significant role in what's going on in our economy. You know, supply chain is like most industries, it's a, a, at a macroeconomic level, it's a supply and demand industry. So as the amount of demand increases, which is what we're seeing right now, 
right? The economy is, is growing at a very fast clip. GDP is expected to grow by 6% this year, which is pretty significant. Well, that means that more goods and services are being purchased. There's a lot of money out in the economy, so there's a lot of pent-up demand from the pandemic last year. So what's happening is people are spending a lot of money. They're going on vacations more. They're putting those back decks on the back of their house because they got used to working from home. They're buying new furniture. That drives supply chain. Supply chain uh, is a, a big part of what, what's, what's happening. Well, these bottlenecks that are occurring in the supply chain are driving up prices. Inflation is starting to take hold, and uh, a big part of that is these disruptions in the supply chain. So most people don't realize supply chain is one of those things that's under the radar, but it is a, has a significant impact on our overall economy. And, and I know some, sometimes the smallest thing can disrupt that. I know it, it, the Suez Canal. Where the well, that's a perfect example, Kevin. So when the Suez Canal situation occurred, there were 400 ships that were anchored and because they couldn't pass through. And um, on, those, on those ships is roughly 15 to 20,000 containers. So that supply chain disruption just by having that many containers that are all loaded with freight and other consumer goods coming into the United States. That issue occurred a month and a half ago. It is still creating bottlenecks within the supply chain because all of those ships made it through the Suez Canal once that ship was removed. However, they had to come into the Long Beach port, which is the main port for incoming goods from Asia to the United States. And they are still in the process of unloading all of those containers that haul those consumer goods on it. So there's a significant amount of parts and other consumer goods that are in high demand that still have not made it to market and it's causing uh, inflation to occur as well. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a little bit ago about the, the, the influences of supply and demand, right? Cash in the marketplace. And one of the things that, that, that it helps accumulate an additional cost, right, is, is the fact that the in general, the marketplace tries to um, respond to that increased demand. And especially in trucking, you know, what happens is, and we talked about this before we got started, right? You might put trucks on the road you might not have otherwise. You hire drivers you might not have otherwise. You have, you, you know, you're willing to drive a longer hours. You're willing to do things in order to, to comply with or to try and take advantage of that, you know, renewed supply. And we find increased accidents, we find increased you know, challenges associated with breakdowns and equipment failures and things like that because they're being stressed, right, in order to try and comply with or, or to intake a lot of that supply. So insurance, you know, insurance cost goes up naturally as a result. And all of that's part of the increased cost and the inflation that you talk about relative to, to the expense of goods, right? So I'm the insurance guy, I think about insurance as it relates, but you know, in the transportation industry we represent what, somewhere between three and 10 maybe percent of your gross revenue. So when we, we go up in price 10 or 12 or 15%, that's meaningful in relative terms to your own gross revenue. It has to be, has to be ultimately passed on at some rate, which is, which is a big contributor. So it's, it's funny how, how supply uh, and demand, the, the increased demand and reduced supply and this overflow of goods, right, turns into a risk issue, increases costs all along the supply chain. It's not just essentially, well, we're waiting so it's more, there's all kinds of influences at the end of the day to the, to the, to the way that prices trickle down to the consumer and how inflation uh, really works. Absolutely, Jason. Yeah, and, and you mentioned employees. Um, I mean, what, what part does that play into it? Is just finding good drivers or, or people to work 
along that pro the supply chain process to, to get those goods delivered. Plays a big part. Um, we've had a driver shortage for years, and it's been exasperated by the pandemic. Um, the average age of, of truck drivers is 55 years old. Um, so during the pandemic, we had a lot of drivers just decide they were going to retire because they didn't want to continue to be on the road and, and, and other things. So it's really hard to get younger drivers into the workforce. It's just not something that they, they like to do as much as the older drivers do. So that labor shortage, you know, supply chain is heavily dependent upon labor as well as materials. And both of those components have continued to go up and that has contributed to higher costs. I, I would say that in the 30 plus years I've been in the transportation logistics space, I've never seen freight rates increase as quickly as they have over the last six months. Sure. Now, as the stimulus runs out, do you see will that more normalize um, I, supply and demand and, and, and just being able to deliver the goods? Well, I hope, I, I, I don't know. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, I don't have a crystal ball. If sure. I did, I would uh, definitely uh, you know, look at things a little differently. Um, I do think at some point, because GDP is growing at you know, six plus percent, 70% um, of GDP is consumer spending. So you have this, this, this money out into the marketplace. There's a pent-up demand. People are going on vacation. They're buying furniture. They're buying electronics. They're doing things they didn't do a year ago. So I think because you know, consumer spending is 70% of GDP, it's gonna, I think you're going to continue to see it continue to go up. I do think it's going to level off. Now, whether or not it takes a dip is hard to say. Now, as, as we talk about logistics, um, technology comes into play, especially as you have struggles with it, with employees. What, what are some you know, like future technologies that are coming into play in, in the logistics area? Well, uh, logistics again is is managing the supply chain as efficiently and effectively as possible. And efficiency is really getting products to market the, the fastest and least cost way. And technology pay, plays such an important role. Um, we have, for example, a Jared a TMS system called JShip Elite. What that TMS system, TMS stands for Transportation Management System, what that does is it provides our customers with the ability to move their goods in a more efficient manner. And if you can get your goods to market at a lower cost, then you have a leg up on your competition. And again, the transportation component of, of the process is such a key component to, to your overall cost structure. So you're, we're seeing more and more shippers utilize technology offered by third-party logistics companies like Jira in order to make their supply chain more efficient. If you can do that using artificial intelligence, for example, that's a big, uh, a big part of technology now. Um, some other disruptive technology are things like um, business intelligence, business analytics. You know, the old adage, you can't manage it unless you can measure it. Well, we're providing business analytics and the term big data is being talked a lot about in the supply chain world because there's a lot of data points from a, from a life cycle of a shipment. But if you don't, you don't have the, a cloud-based technology platform using AI in order to manage it, mm -hmm. then you're not going to be as efficient as you should be in supply chain. So there's a number of disruptive technologies that are out there that are continuing to play a big role in improving the supply chain. Okay. Jason, as you work with clients, do you, what do you see as far as some advances in, in technology they're using? We, we say all the time, right, that, that's, that safety means efficiency and efficiency means profitability, right? So we like to make that 
link. So to the extent that safety can be influenced by technology, the insurance industry has been a heavy adopter. Um, so I'll give you an example, right? In-cab technology, things like you know rollover protection, things like cameras facing out, facing backwards, right? You may have some of those in your own in your own fleet. Um, you know, predictive analytics that suggest this kind of driver with this with this profile may may be higher likelihood for for an accident. So so try and hire this kind of individual. That that kind of that kind of um, technology helps ultimately clients in the transportation industry make better decisions. It's not just trucking either. You know, it's warehousing. Um, it's it's freight brokerage. It's right. It's it's, it's personnel generally. I would say you know trucks don't wreck themselves, right? So so driver selection and um, time management, um, uh, you know equipment sourcing and equipment maintenance, all of those things influence at the end of the day kind of kind of more efficient outcomes. And um, you know to the extent that safety is an element of that, right? In the insurance industry, we we gravitate toward technology that will improve safety. And I usually try and make the case that safety means profitability, right? There's an intermediary called efficiency, but at the end of the day, safety means means profitability and to the extent that we can influence profitability for clients right that's a that's a nice it's a nice nice addition to just being a cost I suppose <laughs> yeah. oh, great now and, and you you were mentioning warehousing um, there, there's so many advances in, in the automation of the warehouse process is, is that something you can elaborate on absolutely um, you know we, we call in our, our uh, industry the Amazon effect um, obviously e-commerce sales continues to grow um, the pandemic caused e-commerce sales to be adopted by consumers at a at a pace that's never been seen before. You know, e-commerce has been growing, obviously, mm-hmm. Kevin, over the last number of years, usually around 10, 11% per year. In the last year, it grew by 34%. So what that's what's that's doing is putting a lot of pressure on the warehousing side of the of the industry. Because everything sold online needs to be warehoused, picked, packed, and shipped to the consumer. And so the warehousing side, again, back to being efficient, we're seeing a lot more robotics being uh, deployed within warehouses. The automation component, again, AI has been an important component to the warehousing side. Um, uh, warehouse management systems, we use a system called 3PL Central that allows us to be able to identify where the inventory is at, how much inventory is there, that provides our customers with visibility to their inventory. It's literally like a, a warehouse as if the customer were right next to it, but they can be all over the world because they have visibility to all their inventory, what's being picked, what's being packed, what's being shipped. So that visibility through a warehouse management system is a key component. So technology, again, on the warehousing side is, is playing a, a big part in the evolution of our economy with regards to e-commerce. Okay, great, thank you. Jason, anything you want to add around warehousing? Or, or maybe shortage of warehousing space? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that. I you know, know, that's a challenge. That's contextually, I see all these warehousing you know, risks, right? Insurance guy, we, we see them as risks. And the evolution of the warehouse, right? It used to be this big cavernous building, right? Well, anymore you go on a warehouse visit, right? And they're brightly lit and they're temperature controlled. And in many cases, there's, a, there's, a, there's an automated robotic system. Some of that's in response to the challenge from, from a labor standpoint. But, but in most cases, it's just a, it's a matter of just, just essentially responding to, to the two-day delivery demand, right? The, the ability to just process more with, with fewer human errors, more effectively, more, more efficiently. From an insurance standpoint, I, you know, I see that stuff generally, too, as a reduction in, in, in risk, right? I mean, I hate to say it, but, you, you know, 
People usually create human error. Human error creates insurance claims, creates building fires, creates a rack that falls down, creates you know injuries for for personnel. Um, you know, and and property's a lot easier to replace than people. Um, and and so you know what's happening is the the efficiency generated uh, by robotics and technology in the in the warehousing environment extends to their general and administrative expenses, not just to uh, higher efficiency and delivery methods, right? Because if I go into that warehouse, I say, hey, look, you know, look at all this equipment, look at the safety. There's no personnel here. You don't have a workers' compensation expense necessarily. So I'm not totally advocating suggestion that you that you do away with. with Personnel, but what happens in a practical environment is that, you know, the more automated and the more technologically advanced the warehousing and operation is, right, the, the better typically a risk it is. And, and, and you bring up a good point. Um, like equipment keeps advancing uh, mm-hmm. when you look at it. Uh, you're talking about electric vehicles, um, you know, like autonomous driving, and, and maybe even drone delivery. Mm-hmm. I don't. Where, where do you guys see um, that equipment evolving, and, and, and what's the realistic next steps? Well, it's coming. It's coming for sure, both in the uh, electrification of trucks and vehicles, autonomous trucks, autonomous cars, uh, drones. All three of those are coming. Uh, it's, again, another way to make the supply chain more efficient and to adapt to the consumer preferences, right? Consumer preferences are continuing to move toward buying things online and having things shipped to their doorstep. And, you know, UPS and FedEx, for example, are expecting the number of packages to triple in the next five years. So we think now in 2026, they expect that to triple. So they are investing significantly in electric vehicles, in drones, in, uh, in uh, other technologies and, and equipment. So let's take electric vehicles. They're you know, the, the, the biggest player right now in the electric vehicle space is Tesla. Um, they're uh, ahead of the game. So they're expecting to have a full-blown electric truck on the market in the next two years. Um, so we'll see. You know, probably the biggest issue with the electric side of the of the of the business is um, recharging stations. Mm-hmm. It'll take billions of dollars. Same to issue when they, get, we're talking about compressed natural gas, right? Yeah, I was going to say hydrogen is mm-hmm. another um, area that's going to grow as well. It's a different form of of um, a green truck um, as opposed to electric batteries. You have hydrogen. Um, trucks. Nikola is the leader in that space right now. And again, it goes back to refueling stations. We don't have hydrogen f- sure. refueling stations. So, But I, the experts are, are feeling that electric trucks will be the first on the market and they'll be adopted over diesel fairly quickly um, as long as the charging stations can grow. Mm-hmm. But hydrogen, they feel long term, is more sustainable. And the reason is because the components required to make batteries are um, those are precious minerals and that requires a a lot of uh, uh, carbon footprint to to make the batteries and then you have disposal of batteries environmental concerns Mm -hmm. and what do you do with them hydrogen on the other hand is the most abundant item item in in the universe and so hydrogen is compressed it can you can also refill your hydrogen tanks about the same time it takes to refuel your diesel engine uh, in uh, tank versus charging charging right now takes a long time so most experts feel long-term hydrogen is the way to go with drones Kevin I think drones are coming drones are are um, used in primarily rural areas right mm-hmm. now it's being tested in some um, rural countries or, or countries that have 
a population that's very rural, where UPS and FedEx are testing in the United States. And it makes sense because going to major metro cities where there's a lot of deliveries within a certain square mile radius, it's a very efficient way to do it. But you get out in the country, there's a, a house every couple of miles, mm -hmm. and the driver has to go from one house to the next. It's very costly. So UPS and FedEx are testing drones for, for that reason. So well, go ahead, Jerry. No, I was just going to say, in general, the insurance industry doesn't have a collated response to driverless and autonomous vehicles or drones, right? I mean, there's a lot of question marks about the testing going on with the driverless you know, passenger vehicles. It's the same concept in a commercial environment. Who's responsible, right? Um, and you've seen a number of examples, larger corporations that are testing these, right? Google and others that, that have these. And the insurance industry is not quite sure yet how to, how to handle all those uh, oncoming evolutions. Um, but, uh, but I think the insurance industry would corroborate what Mike's saying, and that is, look, it's coming, right? I mean, there's just no way that we're going to, the world isn't going to continue to deal with a driver shortage, right? We aren't making more drivers. In fact, we're making less drivers. We're going to triple the number of packages, and we're going to have fewer drivers to deliver them. There has to be a solution, right, that doesn't rely on manpower, right? There's just a limitation inherent in manpower. And so certainly the insurance industry, which is just as big and just as smart in theory, right, can at some rate see the future, just, just like the transportation industry would, would say this is a critical element of, of the future, and, um, but doesn't really have you know, the right answer yet. Right? Sure. I think there's a lot of case law to come out. There's a lot of examples that need to come out. And you know, it's just my opinion. There will be some insurance companies that stick their hand up and say we're willing to, we're willing to figure this out. We're willing to be the initial leaders, right? It's a, it's you know, any emerging market creates an opportunity, and and somebody in the insurance industry or a few in the insurance industry are going to put their hand up and say, listen, we'll be the drone carrier, right? We'll we'll figure out what to do. We'll know how to do it, uh, but there aren't any answers quite yet. Along those lines of its autonomous trucks, um, I think it's a it's a game changer for the supply chain industry. Um, I think it's one of those because of the driver shortage that will play a heavy heavy role in the improvement and efficiency of moving goods throughout the United States using autonomous trucks. Now what we're going to see is not, I, most experts are going to say that it's going to reduce the number of driver jobs. You hear a lot of politicians say that. It's, mm -hmm. I don't think that. There's a lot of other experts along with me that feel that it's actually going to increase the number of driver jobs. And here's why. Most of the autonomous vehicles are going to be run through what's called platooning. The front truck will have a driver, and then there'll be a second and a third truck that'll be connected to the front truck through the computer system. So they'll be autonomous. Those trucks will run in what's called um, these routes across the United States, just along interstates, and have drop yards or drop points. Those autonomous vehicles will pull into a drop yard, and then drivers will get inside the trucks and take it the final mile. So it's going to increase the number of final mile drivers and it's going to decrease the number of long-haul drivers. And those are the most difficult jobs to fill, are the long-haul truck driving positions. So it's going to be a good effect overall for the trucking industry once we have autonomous trucks. And I would say, look, it's just my sense here. You're talking about truck drivers really specifically, but you're talking about delivering triple or quadruple the, the number of packages in the next several years. That's right. That isn't going to require fewer people. That's it right. may just require people in different spots, right? I mean, I think about this all the time. In the military, right, we went from flying fighter planes with pilots that sat in, you know, the cockpit to a bank of pilots, essentially, right, flying planes from some some safe, you know, intermediary zone. And that 
I see a lot of that same kind of kind of you know autonomy for an operator uh, materializing in the commercial market, not just for airlines, but for but for trucking and transportation as well. There's no way that the transportation industry is going to lose jobs, right? They're just going to change. That's correct. They're just going to evolve. Yeah, and I mentioned early in this interview that roughly about 20 to 25 percent of cargo is transported through rail and intermodal, 70 percent roughly over the road. And, and that surprised me when, when, when you mentioned that. I, yeah. I would have thought the opposite. Well, rail is significantly less expensive to, to move, but it takes nearly twice as long for a shipment to arrive from origin to destination. So, and we're in a just-in-time environment, just, right? Just we're used the, to two just days. Just the term twice as long is a total non-starter. That's correct. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, you're right, as technology continues to grow, it, our expectations increase, right? So yeah. you said just-in-time, it's, it's where people think it's, it's they're managing their inventory as, as quickly and if, if efficiently as possible. That's correct. And so right now, the rail component is only 20, 25%, not because of their rates, because their rates are less expensive, significantly less than over the road, because it's less expensive to run rail cars along a rail system. But the long delivery time is what's preventing shippers from using rail more often. However, once autonomous trucks come in and platooning is part of the over-the-road network, that 20 to 25% of an $800 billion industry, which is what the supply chain cost is annually, is going to shift from that 20 to 25% rail and 70% over the road, you're going to see 90 to 95% over the road. So you're going to see a significant shift of freight moving from rail to over the road because now with autonomous trucks, you no longer have hours of service. Right now there's hours of service. Drivers can only drive a certain number of hours per week. When the truck has no driver and it's autonomous, it can run all night long. So you're going to see transit times improve, reduction in cost for over the road. So that 70% that is currently handled by trucks is going to increase to 80 90%. So it's going to drive a need for more of those local drivers. So this um, idea that autonomous trucks will reduce the number of drivers is actually a, a false narrative. We're going to see a lot more drivers in, needed because more freight, more cargo is going to be moved over the road. Sure, that's great. Mm -hmm. Now, it is, as we talk about tr transportation and logistics, I mean, it, it's safe to say that in order to survive and, and grow, you have to focus on technology and automation just to keep up with the demand out there today. So well, I want to thank you both for joining us um, on, our, on our topic on, on transportation and logistics. Um, one thing we ask our guests before we, we leave is tell us a little bit what's on your watch list, what's something you're, you're focusing on that you think would be a, a point of interest for our viewers. You know, we spend a lot of time on autonomous vehicles. The truth is that in the transportation industry, it's the, it's the, it's the elephant in the room, right? It's, it's coming. So. A lot of things happening in the transportation industry, especially as relate to, to, to risk management and insurance. But typically, they're the same old problems, just evolving in little ways, right? The cost of comp and collision we were talking about before, right? A truck and a trailer cost more than they used to, which means that they cost more to insure than they used to. But those aren't really new problems. Good drivers, you know, wreck trucks a lot less often than bad drivers wreck trucks, right? So managing drivers and hiring the right people, same problem, just, you know, minor evolutions to it. Really, autonomous vehicles, technology evolution and warehousing, you know, those things are all going to really influence the way we think about risk, which influences the way that we think about buying insurance. You know, th those things are on my, you know, 36 to 60 month, you know, horizon to really keep track of and to, at some rate, be at the forefront of, right? Somebody, like I said before, is going to put their hand up and be good at that. Um, and others will kind of, at some rate, get left in the dust. And, you know, I think, I think we're in a good position to, to do that. But that's what's on my radar for sure. Great. Thank you. 
Michael, what's, what's on your watch list? Well, in, in supply chain industry, it's, you know, it's technology is a, a key component to, again, continue to make the process more efficient. So, you know, we're always looking at new technology that's out on the marketplace, um, any way to remain more competitive for our customers. So we're, we're, uh, we're, our watch list is looking, you know, looking at technology. It's looking at um, combining technology with people. We're a people-centric company. I still believe strongly that relationships are a key to any type of um, arrangement you have with your customers. So we, we use technology as a tool for our people in order to continue to build those relationships with our customers. And we don't do it the other way around, where technology replaces that interaction. So, you know, we, we want to continue to remain a people-centric, tech-enabled company. And so finding great people like we have and, and uh, uh, using technology and growing technology to provide them with a tool to service our customers better is really what we're looking for. No, I agree. I, I think that's a, that's a key ingredient for any company Absolutely. to be successful. So. Well, thank you both again for, thank you, for Kevin. joining us. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. It's great. Sharing Knowledge is brought to you by Westfield Bank. Hosted by Kevin Vondro, Chief Lending Officer. From the imagination and creativity of Chris Van Osdale, Elise Love, Suzanne Favre, Corinne Wilson, a marketing communications strategist at Westfield Bank. Produced, edited, and mixed by Shark and Minnow. Learn more at westfield-bank.com. Sharing knowledge and shedding light on the financial industry to empower financial freedom. The Sharing Knowledge series of videos, podcast episodes, and articles are for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as legal, tax, financial investment, accounting, or regulatory advice. Opinions expressed and third-party information shared herein do not reflect the opinions of Westfield Bank, Westfield Group, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. The information shared does not constitute nor is intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any product or service. Testimonials may not be representative of the experience of other customers and are not guarantees of future performance or success. Bank products and services provided by Westfield Bank, member FDIC, an equal opportunity lender.